Tremendous Upside features real talk about mental health. Today we talk about depression and suicidal thoughts. I want you to know that before we get into it. Brian Dawkins started his Pro Football Hall of Fame speech like a lot of them start. He thanked God. But then he did something surprising. As you've been listening all and you probably read all this week, I suffer from depression. I went through it mightily my rookie year. I suffered through suicidal thoughts. And I wasn't just suffering through suicidal thoughts. I was actually planning the way that I would kill myself so my wife would get the money. He stood there in his gold jacket in front of thousands of Philadelphia Eagle fans wearing his jersey, with millions more watching on TV, and talked about his depression. People sat up and listened. I'm Shamiqua Holsclaw from American Public Media. This is Tremendous Upside, real talk with athletes about mental health. It's our last episode this season. You know we get real on here. I don't know if it gets more real than talking about depression and suicidal thoughts in your Hall of Fame induction speech. Back in Brian's rookie year, when he said he was contemplating suicide, the idea of talking to anyone about his mental health was embarrassing. I gotta fight through this embarrassment. I gotta push through to having these tough conversations so I can get better, so I can be a better version of myself. I get it. Embarrassment stops a lot of people from talking about this stuff. But we have to get rid of that embarrassment because these conversations are so important. And Brian decided to start a conversation on the biggest stage pro football has. Instead of talking about some of the monster hits he delivered in his 16-year NFL career. The draw to Bettis. Oh, what a hit. Well, the 45-yard line by Brian Dawkins. Oh, 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 oh or how he went to the Pro Bowl nine times. Favre just heaves it. Only Eagles are there, and it's picked up by Dawkins. Or how he's on an NFL All-Decade team for the 2000s. As Brian Dawkins, who knocked it out of Roethlisberger's hands, Philadelphia football, and it's Dawkins with the recovery. He talked about mental health. His journey to that speech wasn't easy, even when it comes to football and all his success on the field. Going all the way back to his childhood in Jacksonville, Florida, coaches thought he was too small for this position, too slow for that position. Brian set out to prove them wrong. The thing that people have to hopefully realize is like I said, it it was not supposed to be me to make it to college, to make it to the NFL, to make it to the Hall of Fame. So it wasn't supposed to be me. I wasn't talked about in that in that um, perspective when it comes to coaches and players and, you know, even teachers. I wasn't talked about in that light. So it wasn't supposed to be me. So I was constantly feeling like I had to grind and to go get it. The level of competition that we faced every day in the neighborhood, some of the guys who didn't play, you know, or, or didn't do their have their grades to play were probably better than some of the, some of us that, you know, did play. So that level of competition, you have to rise your game up every time because if you don't, you're gonna get embarrassed. And when you get embarrassed, you're gonna get they're gonna ride you. 
And so that type of pressure really develops a lot of athletes in Florida, even more so probably than they probably naturally gifted. They're, they're probably naturally gifted to a certain extent, but because of you have that 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 competitive uh, that competitor every day that you know that can embarrass you at any time, you have to rise your game. And so the game of football became um, an avenue for me, I believe. Once I recognized, um, as I got older, as I got up there a little bit um, until like eighth grade, ninth grade, my brother was ahead of me. So he was already paving his way. He played at the University of Louisville, Kentucky. So I saw my brother in college. So I was like, okay, this is a possibility, a huge possibility for me to play in college. And then, you know, he went free agent to uh, uh, New Orleans. So he was in the in the National Football League on the practice squad for three years. And he was in the, uh, NFL Europe back in the day. He played NFL Europe for about four or five years. So, again, I saw someone in my household take that road to not just to college, but also the NFL. Brian wasn't a big-time recruit because of his size. He ended up going to Clemson University. They're a powerhouse ACC program now. Back then, they weren't. But Brian says he only went to Clemson because the school really wanted his friend Patrick Sapp. But Pat told Clemson if they wanted him, they had to take Brian too. It didn't take long for Brian to prove himself there. He was a three-year starter in a three-time All-ACC selection. His senior year, he was also a second-team All-American. And still, NFL teams weren't sold on him. You're small. You know, I don't know if you're going to be able to play safety. You might have to play, you know, more special teams and maybe, you know, maybe even some corner, I mean, some slot, because you, you're not quite, might not be fast enough to play cornerback. So I had all those questions around, and they kept telling me and throwing all this negative stuff at me. So when I got to Philly, I had, a, like, a huge chip on my shoulder of what I was about to prove to everybody that I can do that I can not only play the safety position, but I'm going to play it at such a level that is going to hopefully, uh, you know, help, I guess, booster the position because the safety position was one, in my opinion, has been um, uh, disrespected for a long period of time. So hopefully I was thinking I'm going to get in this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to put it down to the point that you're going to respect this position. You're going to respect me first, but you're going to respect this position as well. Right. I, I know a lot of people just fell in love with the way that you played. I have a friend of mine, um, Corey Chavis. Um, he went to Vanderbilt and he's played for several teams in the NFL. And he used to just talk about like your technique and your style of play. And again, that right there shows that you were doing something right. And with all that going on in your life, that first season playing with the Eagles, I read and I heard in your speech that you were dealing with depression. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so along with all those um, high expectations of a second-round pick, um, and I would tell you to this day, in my eyes, I was a third-round pick. I was a uh, compensation pick for the Eagles, so I was the last pick in the second round. So in my mind, I slid all the way to the third round because of my size and because they kept questioning me. So I always used that as a chip, just, just to give you that. So there's a lot of still a lot of pressure on me. So now, Second round pick, third round pick, coming in, new, uh, uh, they're expecting me to start. So it's a, now it's a new scheme. It's a new uh, philosophy. Uh, you're dealing with grown men instead of, you know, uh, young men in, in, in college. Um, newlyweds, 
uh, me and my my beautiful bride were respecting our first child, Brian Jr. And he was born um, uh, the first my first preseason game against Baltimore. Brian was born the day before. So that tells you what was going on in our household. And we're trying to, we're newlyweds. We're in a new place away from any and all security um, down south. Um, and so it's so much pressure going on that if you don't know how to filter, if you don't know how to communicate, it's going to be tough for you. And it was. I didn't know how to talk. You know, I knew how to talk. But I didn't. I was not someone that opened up easily about anything. So I, you know, I was always taught, you know, you suck it up, and as a man, you suck it up. You don't show your emotions. Never let them see you sweat, type of thing. Um, and I was under a lot of like pressure. Um, Brian, when he was born, was he was you know kind of colicky, so he was crying all the time. We weren't getting any sleep. You know, we were already newlyweds trying to deal with being newlyweds and then the pressure from the job. So it's a lot of pressure that was coming against me. And once again, if you don't have outlets, if you don't have the ability to allow some of that steam out, just like think about the, a pot. If you don't, you keep that lid on, you continue to raise the heat up, it's going to explode. It's going to, the top is going to pop off. And so that's what I was doing. I was having fits of rage. I was having fits of anger, you know, um, but also, I was going into a, a, a deeper, darker place that I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to be around my son. I didn't want to be around my family. I put on a mask every time I walked out of the house because I knew what it was expected of me. So I was doing what I thought was expected of me, not really being who I was at that time. And so that's a lonely place and it's a painful place. And then also I was having some dealing with money issues with my family. You know, we... We're giving out too much. We were trying to bless too many people. So going into that second year, we we may have may have had like fifteen thousand dollars left in the bank after having, I think, at that first year was like um seven uh seven seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So and you cut that in half with Uncle Sam. Yes, you don't get all of that, but cut all <laughs> that in half. But that's what we had. We didn't have anybody helping us to manage our money. And so all of those pressures falling on a, a young man who does not know how to communicate is a, is, is a recipe for a disaster. And that's where I was headed. So how about your family? How was your family affected, um, you know, by this? Well, to be honest with you, because I was, um, wasn't talking to them, um, it's not, a lot of stuff my wife didn't know. A lot of things that um, the, some of the people did not know. I, I did a great job, again, of, of acting, of putting on the mask. It's when I got agitated or frustrated, and those, I guess those occurrences became more frequent, that people would hear the anger, hear what I was going through. They would begin to feel it then. Other than that, again, I was doing such a good job of trying to be, you know, a good son, trying to be a good employee, trying to get, be, you know, the best husband I could. I was putting on those different masks and not really expressing everything that I was going through. And again, that's where that explosion happened. That's where that, you know, hiding all of that and, you know, keeping all of that trapped in for so long. That's where that explosion happened. More with Brian after the break. Tremendous Upside is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. 
Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. We have real conversations about mental health on this show. That's so important to do because not enough people are talking about this stuff, and it's serious. The good news is that people can, and do, get better. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say or not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. We're back. That explosion Brian mentioned, it scared his wife, Connie. She called a man Brian calls a guardian angel, the Eagles defensive coordinator, Emmett Thomas. I just absolutely lost it in a fit of rage and, you know, kind of call Emmett. Um, I remember running, like, literally running my head through a wall. You know, that's how, 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 like, over, like, I just couldn't take it no more. And so alone during that time, it's the thoughts of suicide became more frequent in my, in my thought process. So she called Emmett. They kind of tag teamed on me <laughs> and, and made me go get help. And that's what I needed. I needed to go get help. I needed to begin to express and get some of that stuff out of me, some of those emotions out of me. I needed to deal with some people on some of the things that I was holding um, kind of against them. Um, they didn't know. Some pains of the past that I had not you know, gotten off of me that I was also holding on. So I had a whole bunch of issues that I was holding on to, and I began to take drink too much. And I did not want to go down any path of, of alcoholism depending on something where your, your, your brain then changes and you have to feel like you have to have something. I did not want to go down that path. And so that's where I made the decision. I remember one day specifically to go see that therapist after that, after that break, the breakdown that I had, because it was something that now I was using as a masking agent. And, you know, I, I know now that, you know, I was ready, I was ready for an implosion. And, and that's, that's what almost happened. It happens to a certain extent, but it, it wasn't as bad as it could have been had I not gotten the help that I needed. I can identify with a lot of your journey, you know, being a number one pick and just trying to find out like who I was. Yeah. And, you know, in sports, they always tell us to surround yourself with good people. But it was really difficult for me. So, so many people were like coming at me and it was a little overwhelming. And I started distancing myself and depression sinked in. Um, I found myself, you know, suffering and silence. But one thing that was never affected was my, my game. Did depression affect your game? No, no, because when I, okay, so I'm not the only one that probably feel this, feels this way. I'm most at home when I'm playing. I'm not thinking about anything. I don't have time. To, you don't have time to think about anything when you're on the court or on the field. When I was on the field, I didn't have time to think about anything else. All I, I could think about was the formation. What is the formation? What is the down and distance? Okay, what am I anticipating because of this? I'm, you know, thinking about, you know, making sure I run to the ball in practice, making sure I finish. You know, I had certain things I wanted to get better at that day. So I want to make sure that I work on it so I can look at film to see if I corrected it. So um, it's, it's a whole bunch of other things that I'm, I'm concerned about and thinking about so I don't have time to think about anything else. It's when I got by myself, when you have time, when you're driving home, when you have that, you know, uh, whatever, that long break and 
you know, you don't, you're not thinking about football. That's when those other thoughts begin to, to, to creep in. That's when those, um, that, that, that dark voice begin to, to talk from time to time. You know, you get you aggravated about a person and what they did. And I didn't, I never asked, I never forgave them. Um, and I never talked to them about the hurt that they, how they hurt me. So now you start thinking about that person. And as soon as you think about that person, you think of something, something other, another thing that happened to you that that's negative. So now that's two things you're thinking about. And oh, absolutely. What about this other thing? This other thing this person did. So now all of these things, once you go down that wormhole, not just your voice, the enemy begins to give you other examples to be mad about, to get you off of off track. So when I touched the field, I became a different person and I did. I intentionally came became a different cat when I touched that daggum field. As Weapon X, people call him Weapon X, people call him Wolverine. I've always had that that dual personality. A lot of it also was the anger that I had inside that I had pent up. I can express that anger on the field. Like I can go hit another grown man as hard as I can and won't get arrested for it. So like it's, 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 it was kind of th- therapeutic in a lot of ways. I know we talk a, a lot about changing. As you change, typically it's a story of sometimes, you know, hitting rock bottom to see things. What was your rock bottom? And were there times your depression scared you? Well, yeah, it, it scared the, the heck out of me when I had that episode that I ran my head through the wall. Um, because, you know, I, I know that the things that I was dealing with, the way that I was dealing with it, um, especially now I know um, that those can turn into some ugly scenes. Um, I'm, I'm trained. I'm, I'm trained to run up against 300-pound dudes full speed. I'm trained to be explosive. And in that instance, let's say for whatever reason, you know, I can't control my urge. I can't control myself at that time. And instead of running my head through that wall, that is directed at my wife then. So that's, that's something I did not want to happen. Right. And so, you know, I have to then do something. I have suicidal thoughts. I'm having an anger problems that I can't control anymore. I'm using alcohol that could prohibit me from making sound decisions. Like there's a lot of things that I, I see that are in front of me that I got to get something done. Two individuals that love me, to your point, my wife, Emmett, again, make that phone, help me make that phone call to get the help that I needed. And I did. And that's the other thing. Like, you, I still had a choice to make. When they, and because it was going to be, I knew it was going to be embarrassing for me to go in and talk to somebody. They might, you know, figure, they might figure out who I am. You know, can I trust this person with this information? So it took me a little while to get comfortable with the person I was talking to. So this, 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 this is going to be embarrassing, but I got to fight through this embarrassment. I got to push through to having these tough conversations so I can get better, so I can be a better version of myself. I, I never, I didn't know the dude that is talking to you now existed at that time. Didn't know he existed. Someone who can talk talk his feelings feelings out. I'm more emotionally available to my wife and my daughters and, and, and my son. Like I didn't know this dude existed. And so I went through all of that doing the things that I did. And that's taking the medicine for a little while. That's my, my, my spiritual life, my Bible study, all those things picking up so that I can get to the point where I am today so that I can now share what I went through to hopefully bless somebody else from where they find themselves because you start where you, you start where you are 
You start with your, you don't have to get better or get to a, another place and then you'll start. No, start exactly where you are, wherever that is. You pray about who you need to get to. Is there someone around you that you can talk to? You know, I always say that, you know, I have um, at least four people in my life that I can call and talk, talk real to. I'm talking about absolute real. I don't have to, you know, beat around the bushes. Four, I have four, four cats in my life. So if I ever get to that point that I need it, I can either, sometime I'll just text them, hey, pray for me. Have this such and such, such and such, need you to pray for me. Gotcha. I know they're going to pray for me. Or if I need to get on a call, hey, you got, you got about five minutes, need to talk. Boom, we're on the phone, five, ten minutes. And then after that, I know we're going to pray together. So I know I'm not by myself. I guess there's another thing that I'm saying. I know I'm not alone. I know I have somebody. Think about that. In his rookie year, Brian was embarrassed to talk to anybody about his mental health issues. Now he has a group of people he can rely on to talk about anything. And people rely on him, too. Brian was a team leader in Philly, and also when he played for the Broncos for a couple of years. You're held to a specific standard when it comes to playing the game of football. It's, you know, some people see it as a gladiator sport. You know, you're not, you, know you can't have feelings if you're a gladiator. You, you see and you go. Like you see and you go and you try to destroy. And so what these things also is because of that, you know, you can't show pain. You can't, you know, talk about your pain. Now, guys think that they, they can't show pain never. Like there's a time and a place to show it. Like maybe on the field might not be the time, but when you get, yeah, you get by yourself, you find that individual you can trust in. Yeah, you need to talk about some stuff. Like I got these things going on at the house, man. I don't know how to handle this situation. You ever had something like this? Or you, you, you know, somebody that goes through something like that, man. Yeah, you know what? I was just talking to such and such, man. And he was going through something similar. Oh, for real? So what did he do? So like, that's how that's how answers happen. That's how doors are open. That's how you get some of the stuff off of you. And here's the other thing I would say. When you begin to talk to people, what happens is the weight that you had is, is cut in half. When you talk to somebody that you can trust, the weight that you're carrying is all of a sudden cut in half because that person is now carrying some of it with you, whether you recognize it, understand it or not. And I've, 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 I've felt that. I know that that exists. But then what happens for me and my friends is that we both then pray about the thing that we just are both carrying. So now we can get that off of, off of both of us so we're free to go and do what our you know, jobs are, whatever the case may be. And, I, and one of the things I also did when I was even playing, um, as I got up there, up, up there in years, probably like uh, five on, I purposefully put time in my schedule to talk to teammates if they needed it. So sometimes after practice, sometimes even the coaches, like when I got to Denver, man, because we were going, we were struggling so much in Denver, like I was counseling like some coaches in Denver because things were so tough. And this was when I was up there a little bit in age. But, but again, all of that came from me not just going through depression. It was me studying it, me studying psychology, me studying, you know, so why – these are the things that I'm going through. I'm hearing all of these things, some of these things that some of my teammates are going through. I'm talking to other people and they're going through similar stuff. Man, there is nothing new under the sun. We just need to be more available to talk to other people, to get things out. Like, right. yeah, that, that inspiration part, like that's sometimes that's all that's needed. Brian retired in 2008, 16 seasons. 
nine Pro Bowls, five first-team All-Pro. He was the first player in NFL history to record a quadrifecta. He had an interception, sacked a quarterback, forced a fumble, and scored a touchdown all in one game. He's the only player in NFL history with 25 interceptions, 25 sacks, and 25 forced fumbles. The Eagles retired his jersey in 2012. Then, in 2018... Ladies and gentlemen, presenting Brian Dawkins for enshrinement into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Your Hall of Fame speech was so inspiring. You know, I've struggled with depression, suicidal ideation, and I, I'm getting choked up now. I was just in, in tears. And you being a black male, you talking about that, you don't know how many of my guy friends that you've helped. So wow. I really, really like appreciate you sharing the journey, man. Absolutely. You know, that's what the Lord put on my heart. You know, I knew I, knew I was going to deliver something. Uh, when I stepped on that stage, but um, you know, I just wanted to wanted to open up on some things, and I knew that um, you know, leading up to that, um, I had a lot of people talking at me or talking about me like I'm a superhero, like nothing gets to me, things bounce off me, and that's not always the case. So when we go through those situations in our lives, pain helps you develop those things that is going to take you to the next level of whatever it is the Lord has for you. Believe that. I'm a living testimony of that. Thought about um, how many ears that were going to be perked up listening to an individual with a gold jacket on. Um, the gold jacket means a lot to a lot of people. Um, not just here in America, but around the world. People under recognize gold jackets and what the Hall of Fame stands for. Um, and I knew that that was a platform that it's going to be a lot of cameras. It's going to be a lot of... So I wasn't just talking to people in the stadium. I knew that. And so when I decided to get up and as I was preparing myself for the speech, and I didn't write down, I didn't write down my speech. I don't write down speeches. I write, I pray about what I'm going to say and then I formulate it and I put it on a, a, a card or something like that, just a couple of words or maybe a little phrase. And then I allow my heart to then dig into that subject matter. Um, I knew that I wanted to be absolute raw with it. When I talked about suicide, I knew I wanted to be raw with it. I did not want to sugarcoat it. I want to give you like really, really strong, blunt examples of what happened to me that you know, again, just because I have this gold jacket, just because you think that I've had always this, the, silver, the silver spoon or just good luck in my life. It was nothing about luck. It was these are the things that I've gone through. These are the things that I had to push through and persevere through. And I made sure that I said this. I made sure I said that when I say come through it, that means that you can then come through it, too. I'm on the other side of it. So there's hope. And that's one of the things that people are lacking is hope. They feel like there is no hope. I have grown leaps and bounds because of the things that I've gone through. And that's one of those things that I went through. And when I say went through, that means I came on the other side of it. So for those who are going through right now, there's hope. You do have hope. There is something on the other side of this. Don't get caught up where you are. Don't stay where you are. Keep moving. Keep pushing through. A good friend of mine, excuse me, son, 
and I know the individual. His son passed um, a couple of days ago uh, from from suicide. Oh, you know, sorry. he's like 15 years old. 15 years old. Yeah. So these this is this this is information that you know is needed. And we have to talk about it. We have to get it out because he just felt that, you know what, with some of the things that are happening right now, that the past is so painful, the present and past are so painful, I'm not willing to even see what the future will be. And I will tell you this, that have I, had, I, had I listened to that same voice when I was a rookie, none of my daughters would be here. None of them. Mm, mm. They would not, none of them would be here. I would not have had the career obviously that I had and I would not have gotten on that stage that night to give the message that I gave. I would not be here to, to have this conversation with you. And I would not be here to do the things that I'm about to do going forward. So, again, I know you may look at me and say, well, you're different. The only reason I'm different, the only reason I'm different is because I'm choosing different to be. That's why I'm different. If you choose different to be, then you will be different. You won't be my type of different. You will be your type of different. And that's all we need. You, we need everybody, Shmeet, to be their own type of different. Definitely. If you're your own type of different to allow your better self to constantly come out, then we will be a much better place. We'll, is, this will be a much better world to live in. If everybody looked to be their version of different, respecting one another, loving one another, this will be a better place. Ryan's trying to make the world a better place by talking about his own dark moments. That's the kind of talk that takes away the embarrassment and helps people know that they're not alone. And that's what this show is about. The Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation has a plan to bring mental health awareness training to schools in Brian's hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. I'm humbled and inspired by the guests' incredible stories of overcoming and the truth about their mental health journeys. Thanks everyone for listening and thanks everyone for sharing. Tremendous Upside is a production of American Public Media. I'm your host, Shamiqua Holsclaw. John Moe created the show. Phyllis Fletcher is our editor. Producers include Chrissy Pease, Tracy Mumford, and Christina Lopez. Research for this episode by Elissa Dudley. Corey Shreppel mixed this episode. Our theme song is by Riley Mackin. Tremendous Upside is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say or not to say. It has stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. Again, if you or someone you know needs someone to talk to, trained volunteers are available. You can text the word HOME to 741-741 or call 1-800-273-TALK. Any time of the day, someone's there and it's free. <laughs>